0: Good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. Great to see you guys. Uh, Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the shepherds this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to just put this on your radar. I know this is the season of generosity and giving and I know that we encourage all of you to give to worthy causes and good things that are happening and ministries that are out there, don't forget your church Put your church on the radar. In um, a season of just generosity and giving, we have much to do. The, the kingdom work uh, through Bannockburn is marching on. We are uh, doing amazing things. God is at work. And, um, and so we just encourage you, be a part of that and give, give to your church at this uh, time of generosity. We just want to make sure that's on your radar. And we encourage you to do that um, and help us with the gospel ministry here at Bannockburn. We would love to have you uh, support that. Um, We are in week three of our Christmas series, Fear Not. God is on the move at Christmas. Um, We we talk about the Advent season. Uh, The Advent is all about us calendaring the gospel into our physical year and our calendar. So that at this time in this season, we reflect on the arrival of Jesus. And that's the two arrivals. It's the arrival of Jesus at his birth. And then the arrival of Jesus in his second coming and in his judgment. And so this is the season where we uh, find ourselves um, waiting, anticipating. What do we do while we wait? Um, They were waiting for the Messiah and he came. We are waiting for his second coming and he will come. Amen. Uh, That's what Advent is really all about. But Christmas, this particular week, is his first arrival. um, His coming into our world. And... Uh, And what God is doing is it's part of his sovereign plan. From all eternity, God had this plan to send his son on our behalf. And so God is doing a historically wonderful, powerful, mysterious work by sending his son here. And one of the greatest acts that God ever does in the history of the world. And yet the announcement of it... um, that should probably be filled more with joy and finally and yes, is really met with fear. And we see this fear not um, sort of theme throughout the entire Christmas story in the Gospels. Zechariah, fear not. Um, Mary, fear not. Joseph, do not fear. Um, and today, the shepherds minding their own business, just doing what they do. And boom. Uh, they have an encounter with God. Mary and Joseph found themselves, as you are aware, um, needing to go to Bethlehem for a census that's being taken by the Romans. They arrive in Bethlehem. They have no place to stay while they're there. Um, And with nowhere to stay, Mary gives birth. And they needed a bed for the baby. Due to the dire circumstances that they have, they had to do something that no one would ever do and it was completely uncommon and that is to wrap a baby in swaddling cloths. That's common. That's normal. But to put that baby in a feeding trough was the dire circumstances that they were in. It was just out of necessity. It was a, a weird thing. No one would think about doing something like that and yet they had to do that. And that manger. Um, rather than perhaps a wooden box, not that it couldn't have been that, but probably not in those days in that culture where it was. It was probably more of a, a stone that was hewned out and just a hollow stone where they would keep water for animals, and they would just kind of empty that out and put the baby in there, which um, says a whole lot, right, about God. But So this is the context in which we see our passage today, And we pick up in verse 8. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verse 8 down to 21. And in many ways, this passage doesn't need to be preached. It just needs to be read and listened to and understood. Um, Because it's a simple passage. There's not lots of problems here. And I could read it and we could go to lunch. But I feel like you might be disappointed in me. So I'm going to preach it. All right. So Luke chapter 2, 8 to 21, let's read it together. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, circumcised he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we just commit this time to you and, Lord, as we meditate upon um, this account from your Gospels um, Lord, we know that your word is alive, and Lord, I pray, um, according to what you've revealed to us, that any time that we're looking at your word, you're speaking. And so we ask that you would give us our spiritual radar and senses, that we would hear you, that we'd hear you personally in our lives from this text. Lord, that you would unpack it, unfold the, the beauty and the power of it into our hearts by your spirit. Speak to us personally, encounter us in this moment, and help us to see you, help us to see us, help us to see your will, and give courage to walk in it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) The angel declared, fear not, I bring you good news. In other words, I don't bring what you expect. What you expect is you're going to die right now. That's what your whole body and experience is telling you, that you are about to perish because the supernatural is breaking into the natural. And for the first time in your life, you've never encountered the glory of God like you are encountering him right now in this moment where you are. And because you're encountering the glory of God in this moment, you instinctively as a human being feel you are about to perish. And that's not going to happen. I bring you good news. I don't come for your harm, I come for your gladness. I come and what I'm about to say is going to cause your heart to erupt with joy and gladness and celebration. And you're going to cry at the reality of what I'm about to tell you and what you're about to experience. Don't have, you don't need to have fear. Why? The glad tidings of Christmas, because that's what the glad tidings of Christmas brings. I want to share with you three things from the glad tidings of Christmas. And I'm going to tell you like I told them in Dripping Springs. I'm going to make three observations here from the glad tidings of Christmas, and then we're done. So it should be short, but it wasn't. All All right. We got in it, the Spirit led, and uh, um, it went long. All right, so, but we're going to try to keep this brief. The first thing, the glad tiding of Christmas eliminates the fear of God's presence and judgment. The shepherd's initial reaction to the, being in the presence of the glory of God was terror. Uh, the Greek, it's hard to translate in the Greek because you start using a lot of words. Um, if we said it literally in the Greek, it would be, it would be this double phobic. Phobic in the Greek is, is, is fear, um, but then there's a mega at the end. And it's two phobics. Fear, fear, mega. A lot. Uh, so it would translate basically like they were really, really terrified greatly. Which really doesn't just mean that they were a little weirded out or they were afraid. Uh, This is, they were running for their life, (laughs) terrorized. Uh, Think of Halloween more, um, terror than uh, just afraid. These poor shepherds were experiencing the supernatural breaking into the natural. This has happened many times in scripture. And usually when the glory of God breaks into the natural realm and a person is there to experience it, it's always their knee-jerk reaction in the moment to be ter- filled with terror, um, to just feel terror. And when people encounter the presence of the glory of God in the Bible, it's, it's a terror of God's wrath, of his judgment. And it springs forth from instincts in us that are innately placed. In other words, there's ways you're wired that God wired you to know some things really quickly in moments that you, you don't have to think them through and systematize it, and it's not a long process. It's a lot of things flood you quickly, and you see it, and you know it, and you just know it, and you react in accordance with it. And this is what is, these guys are going through. Let me give you a couple of, of, of examples. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple. And he's there all the time, he's a prophet, he knows the word of the Lord, he's probably heard God speak to him, and he's actually said the word of the Lord before, and yet he's in the temple. And he experiences the glory of God in a way that he hasn't before ever. And it just shakes him to his core. And it says this Isaiah 6, 4, and 5. It says, And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is filled with terror. In this moment great fear and his first instincts to experiencing the glory of God is not what like wow his first instincts were whoa is me I'm dead I'm a dead man I am going to perish right here in this moment at the presence of the glory of God because I know, a certain, I know a lot of things about this moment and it instinctively rises in my heart. And the big thing I know is I am a sinner and he is holy and I can't exist in this state without perishing. It just, I just know it. You don't have to tell me. I know. I feel it. I sense it. And, and I'm going to perish. Peter felt the same thing. There was a very odd reaction Peter had to Jesus in the Gospels. It seems very odd to me, but he encountered the glory of God in a moment with Jesus And Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, go back out. He does some teaching on his boat. And he goes, Peter, go back out for the time that you've spent with me. I'm going to replace the wages. Go back out and just do one more casting of the net on your boat. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, um, I fish for a living. I'm a professional. And I know I've been fishing all night. Today's not a good day. It ain't happening. But because it's you, I'll do one more. And so he backs out and he goes out and he casts his net over and y'all know what happens, right? All of a sudden it's so full, the nets are beginning to break, the boat is beginning to tilt, it's about to sink. It's going to actually sink because of so many fish in his net. And they get another boat and they bring that boat over to kind of stabilize it and then they cast a the net with that boat and that's about to break. They can't haul in the fish that have been provided. And Peter, recognizing the miraculous nature of this event, because I'm a professional, I know the math, this has never happened before. I didn't even think there was as many fish in the Sea of Galilee. Something hits him. He experiences the glory of God. And it says this in Luke. By the way, Luke is also the author of the text that we were looking at with the shepherds. He, a few chapters later, writes in this. He says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Jesus, this is going to help me for a long time. Thanks for the income. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Jesus, no one could have done this unless they were truly the Son of God. I believe you're the Son of God. He didn't say that. What did he say? Depart from me. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man. It's a strange reaction. Get away from me. (laughs) I can't handle your presence being around me because it makes my sin seem great to me. And I know, and I have this terror and this fear rising up in my heart in your presence. And I can't handle it. Get away from me. I am a sinful man because of fish. Well, he encountered the presence of the glory of God in Christ in this moment. And these things were what was flooding his heart. It wasn't really about fish and income and miracles. It was really about me and my sin and the holiness of God. And I feel condemned in this moment and that I will perish. The Bible says that we we all have this looming down deep. Maybe it's the undercurrent of our life, and we don't know it's there until we encounter his presence, and it all comes to the surface, and we feel it, and we sense it, and we know it innately, and we feel the terror of it. And it all comes from Genesis. It all comes from Adam and Eve. They sinned against God, and they fractured, and they did the greatest thing uh, Harm to the universe that's ever been done. They sinned and rebelled against the creator, the beautiful, sovereign king of the universe. And they disobeyed him. And they fractured all of humanity with this moment in their disobedience. And it's interesting how they respond to God's presence. And the situation seems to lend itself that God had come to the garden often to fellowship with Adam In the cool of the day it says that God would would sort of manifest his presence with Adam in the wind and he would sense his sound in the garden and Adam would fellowship with him and Eve too and, and that they would have moments together of great joy. But then what the sense of the text is saying is that something had changed in the way that Adam responded to God. And Adam didn't have to be told to change the way he responds to God. Adam instinctively began to change the way he responded to God's presence. And it says this in Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, his manifest presence among them, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man... And said to him, Where are you? We know God knows where they are, right? What is he saying? He's saying, Why are you hiding? You've never hid before. You're hiding from me. Do you see in your heart you are hiding from me? Your nature has changed. Your response to me has changed. And then he says, I have, and then Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. For the first time, Adam is afraid, terrorized by the thought of God's presence and his glory being with him. He says, Because I was naked and I hid myself. And of course, God responds, Who told you you were naked? Who who made you aware of that? Something had changed in their relationship, they reacted to God differently. Hiding from God. Humanity has been hiding from God instinctively ever since. It's it's an innate thing. It's part of our makeup because we know certain things. It's the same way that God's given you a conscience to know right and wrong. You just know you did wrong. Even though you didn't know it was exactly wrong, you just know in a sense I've done wrong. You just know it. God gives you the ability to just know certain things. It's innate. And this thing is another thing that you can innately feel and experience. I live my life hiding from God. And if I were ever in a moment where I felt like I was face to face with God, many times you hear preachers say, one day you're going to face God. (laughs) Well, that's not necessarily a negative thing, right? But it produces terror in the heart of people when you say it. Why? Because they innately know that will not be a good thing. Because I know who I am. And I know that I'm instinctively not what I ought to be. We know that innately. Have you ever asked yourself, you're and you're gonna go, Why in the world did he ask that? What has that got to do with Christmas? But I'm gonna ask it anyway. Have you ever asked yourself, Why do we wear clothes? I told you it was weird. And you know, you. Hopefully you haven't asked that question because you just obviously we need to. But in Genesis, do you know it tells us why we need clothes? Have you ever seen another animal out there running around with clothes? I'm not talking about the dogs that have been clothed. <laughs> I saw some ugly Christmas sweaters on some dogs. I'm not. That's the, That's so funny. But anyway. But have you seen any other creature running around out there that has tried to clothe themselves? with something other than what God gave them. No, only humans. And why? Why do we feel like we need to cover up ourselves? Well, God tells us he closed Adam and Eve to cover their shame. Why do we need these? Because we're hiding. We're ashamed. We innately know it. Cover your shame. You're hiding from God. God. And Adam and Eve actually started hiding from one another. They had less intimacy because of sin. And then they hide from God and then they have to have these things. This is a reminder of our shame before God. This is a reminder that we need covering. This is a a reminder of that. And that's why clothes exist in every culture, of every human being, every person all around the world. We have an innate sense of the fear of God's presence and his judgment. Um, And you know what the Bible teaches? This is the theme. So it starts in Genesis that we're clothed and we hide, Adam and Eve hid, and we hide all through time, all the way to the end. And then in the end, the world hides from God in the appearance of the wrath of the Lamb at his second coming. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 to 17 says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free. And by the way, all of those things were saying no one was left out. All the powerful, the rich and powerful, those who you think justice doesn't have a, um, a hold on, oh yeah, they were brought too. And everybody, even the lowest of the low, all the way to the highest of the high, of all humanity, they were all brought forth here. And they hid themselves in the caves. And among the rocks and of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. The whole world runs into the earth to hide from the coming of the Son of God. Think of it. Why does humanity run from the Son of God and is appearing in the clouds? We hide. That's why. It says... Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? For a human being in their sins to experience the presence of the glory of God and to feel the terror of it is appropriate. Because it's, it's a truth, it's truth, it's according to truth. Your, your feeling and your sense is according to reality. That I'm a sinner and God is a holy God. And if, if this is the dynamics by which I exist, I will perish. There is no out of that. And if God, didn't, if God treats me as my sins deserve, that means very bad things for me. The justice of a holy God and the actions that we've done, that means very bad things. And so what we feel is appropriate in that moment. But the angel says, fear not. I bring you good news. You don't have to fear. The angel declaring glad tidings to the shepherd was a sense was saying you no longer have to fear. A Savior has been born. And let that land. Hear it. I'm I'm not caught in this condition. A Savior has been born. Have you ever encountered the presence of the Lord? And and in your heart all of these things started welling up in you? I think that these feelings are actually involved in our our conversion. Toward the end of college I I developed a... uh, I grew up in a Christian home and, and I went to church every Sunday because I was forced to, not because I really wanted to. My parents went, so I went, you know. And, um, but when I went to college and I didn't have to, to go, um, I remember feeling in high school that if my friends found out I went to church or even if I, like someone from church was in my school and they were talking to me and they told my friends that we go to the same church or something, I would have been really embarrassed like, I was just really that, that type. And uh, I, re- I remember going to college and not having to go to church, and I didn't at all. And I lived the baseball life and basically no moral framework. It was just whatever I felt like doing in baseball world. That's just what you do. And, and so I lived that. And I remember thinking and feeling a deep sense um, at, at the, toward the end of my college, I began to feel very guilty about my behavior and this awesome, beautiful girl invited me to a, a Christmas cantata uh, where you do, you do a play and all that stuff about the birth of Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, she's my wife right now. Uh, but she invited me. And I remember in the, in the cantata feeling a sense of the, the, the peace and the joy and the purity and the gladness of the people of God and God's presence. And I remember kind of feeling clean. In their prayer, and I wanted to feel clean, and I felt very guilty, but I wanted to be clean all at the same time. And that night, I chose to just change my behavior, is what I decided. And so I cleaned up, and all the guys that on the baseball were like, "His language, why is he using like words that are different? (laughs) He's cleaning his language up." Uh, My roommates were all like, "Oh, you don't want to go to the? No, I mean I'm out, you know." They catch me reading my Bible and and that kind of thing. I'd start going to Bible studies and and that sort of thing. And I cleaned up my act, man. Late college, I cleaned up my act, and and to the degree that 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 girl was attracted to me now, and and we get engaged, right? So she, uh, we, we end up getting engaged. I go play pro ball and come back. This whole time, for about a year, I am I am living like I'm supposed to, and finally being a grown-up, and this is the kind of sense. And then I'm sitting in church one Sunday, and I had this experience. I feel the terror of God in my heart. And I can't even, like, help you understand how terrifying it was. It just was. And I, I, it was the presence of God. It had nothing to do with the sermon. It was me in church. And I felt the the, the judgment and the terror of God against my sins Overwhelming me. And I knew all, a lot of things in his presence being there that I knew that if I were to die in that state where I was and sitting in that chair right there, that I would perish forever in hell. That my sins were deep and they were horrible. And I grieved over my sins. And I remember being confused in that moment too, wondering why is this happening? But let me back up. Also, I remember having lots of dreams during that whole time period, dreams of me running from lightning. I, a dark storm cloud over my head and, and I'm, I'm like running in a field and there's nothing to cover and lightning is just going pow like bombs going off, right? right and I can't run from it and I'm trembling like, and I would wake up in the middle of the night several times just trembling and my heart racing because I'm scared to death that I'm going to perish. Uh, and it never would hit me. It never hit me. It was always just hit around me, and I was terrified by it. Um, but yet, at the same time, I'm having a very similar experience in church. I'm sitting there, and I'm going, and I'm confused because I cleaned my act up, right? I, I did, I'm doing right. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all. I'm doing right things. I'm not. A, I'm not doing the bad things that I am had in my head. And but in that moment, I am. I am. I am feeling the need to surrender all of my heart to Christ. That that's that's what I need to do I get that night I get my father-in-law who's a pastor and I say I don't know what how to do this just get we need to do this and we get on our knees in his living room and I invite Christ to come into my heart and I receive him as my Lord pray to invite him into my heart and to save me everything changed in my heart I have never had that dream since that day not once desires in my heart changed from that moment I began to like want to be involved in everything at church. I loved reading the Bible. It wasn't a duty to me. I wanted to be at church, and I started serving in all the different areas. And I I even got in choir, robe and all, bringing it. And the choir was all like, "Who's this new guy? He's weird. He's singing loud and stuff." And you know, and like, and all into it. But I just began to just feel God's grace. And, and I wanted people to come to, to Christ, so I started wanting to share the gospel with people. All of a sudden, all this just started flowing from my heart. But I had a moment where I was terrified and I was confused in that moment because I had it all, all, you know, going. I was doing right and I didn't know why I was facing this. And here's what, looking back on it now, now that I know, looking back on it, what God was doing was a grace to me. He was showing me. If your clean life is the basis for which you and I are going to have a relationship, you will perish. You ain't trusting what you do or your behavior modifications. You have to trust one who did everything on your behalf. It is a relationship with Jesus that saves you from your sins, not you cleaning yourself up from your sins. And that was not clear to me that day. But it's so clear to me now that God was pulling me into a life where I was surrendered to Him and had His Spirit in my heart, um, and so, but in that moment I felt the terror of God, and I couldn't explain it. But the angel says, "Don't fear. I bring you glad tidings. I, I, I bring you a Savior has been born. Not a helper, not an assistant. A Savior, one who will do for you what you can't do for yourself. When you trust Him, you get my peace. He is your peace." He does for you what you can't do for yourself. The glad tiding of Christmas not only eliminates the fear of God's presence in his judgment, but it reveals God's mindfulness for the poor and marginalized. God cho- God's chosen instruments of heralding his son's birth are shepherds they made known the things by which the angels told them. In other words, they went into town, they found the Christ in the manger, and they told everyone what God had said. They were the heralds of the birth of the Son of God. Now, shepherds were nomads. We can't really understand what is happening here because shepherds a shepherd, a farmer or whatever, you know, we don't think much of it. But there, they, they, they traveled around with the sheep. They were nomads. They, lowest of the low, I mean, this is like, if, if you could do nothing else, the only way you can make a living, go be a shepherd. Everybody can do that, right? That, it was one of those kind of things. But they slept outside with the sheep. They were with the sheep a lot. They probably stank, you know, smelled really bad. Um, kind, of, kind of known as scoundrels in a lot of ways. Shepherds were. Um, and these are the people that God would pull in and approach to do his heralding. God's chosen heralds would be lowliest, stinkiest people in society, shepherds. Think about this. The shepherds, what did they get? The shepherds got the glory and the presence of God, angel of the Lord, praising of a whole host of angelic hosts. I mean, supernatural boom. What did everybody else get? Shepherds. Good, I'll preach right there. We could stay right there. You get shepherds. God uses the lowest of the low, and he saves them, and he uses them for his glory. First Corinthians one twenty seven to twenty nine, Paul says this but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Nobody boasts. God uses the lowest of the low to do his work. Do you want to do God's work? You don't have to qualify. He will use you. God's chosen identifier was a feeding trough. I want you to think about that, a feeding trough. They had to go clean out the slopper, the, the the saliva from all the animals. They had to, like, just kind of move all that out, and then they put a baby in that. And you're thinking, that's disgusting. You're right. And God chose it. It was his chosen identifier. I want you to think about that. What is God saying to you in the fact that he's looking you in the eye and he says, when I came, I chose that place to be the identifier of me. What is that saying? See the humility of God. The humility of God. But lastly, it calls for a response of celebration and joy. Glad Tidings is not just information. Christmas, y'all, is not just a time for you to hear the information of Christmas. Christmas is not for that. Christmas is a time to get you back into the celebration and the joy of the proclamation of the Glad Tidings of God. That's why he gave it for you and that's why we celebrate it at this time of the season so that you get your heart back into that place where you're reminded of these things and let it saturate your heart and let it erupt joy in your heart and all the gladness of God in your heart that comes to you because of the coming of this one, this king. In the Roman world, the word gospel had nothing to do with religion. It was just evening news. I mean, that's what they thought of it. The word gospel was that something happened in the Roman Empire, um, and and, and so so some territory was conquered, or or an enemy was defeated, or a new Caesar has come to power, or something to that effect. You have a new ruler um, who's going to do good, or all these things to you. And it was um, something that the Roman Empire had, a system where the scroll would be taken to a herald in the middle of town, and that scroll would be opened by the herald. He would stand up in the public square, and everybody would rally, and he would Say the good news. Good news. And it was not meant for the Romans to just hear the information. They were to hear that something has happened on your behalf. Rejoice. Throw a celebration. Party in the streets. Uh, everybody get out your best and let's throw a party of celebration. That's what gospel meant in the Roman world. And here the angel says, I bring you gospel I bring you gospel the message of Christmas is called glad tidings the angel said good news for all the people for everyone I am declaring to you you don't have to be afraid I'm bringing good news to you a savior has been born and it's not just for information it's to receive it believe it believe the gospel believe the declaration of God about Christmas and all that that means for you and feel in your heart that elation and celebrate and party and rejoice and cry and I can't just say it and get you to do that. Because you're kinda like, yeah, Christmas. Right? I know I would be that way if I were you. I can't bring us into this as, as much as I can. One one illustration though. One one most of us can't know what it must have been like to hear in nineteen forty five the war is over. See, to you and I we're like, yeah, it was said. So what? I mean, okay, all right, yeah, it was a big deal. Um, but for me, meh. War is over. It doesn't really produce a lot in me. it um, for my parents and my grandparents, if I say that, they cry. Right? Um, September the 2nd, 1945, a sailor and his girlfriend were in a theater in downtown New York. He was about to leave the next day, probably on the ship, on a port. He and his girlfriend were at the show. In the middle of the show... The theater stopped the show, turned all the lights on, and made the announcement that Japan had surrendered. The war is over. And the people in the theater said, so what? Turn the lights back off. Turn the movie back on. No, they didn't. You know what everybody instinctively did? They all stood to their feet and ran out of the theater. They had heard something. That affected them deeply. Something has happened far, far away, but it has happened on your behalf. The war is over. And that means so many things to so many different people, but it means, it means and I don't even have to tell you, get up out of your seat and run out. You just do. Why? Because you know all that that means for you. Because you, you immediately know, my dad is coming home. My brother, my uncle is coming home. No more people have to die. Our country can finally not, you know, can, can finally have all our soldiers come home. We're, uh, we won. We have the victory. We're not going to be conquered. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that flood into the heart of the person that heard that. Well, you know what they did? They ran out into the streets of New York. Everybody in New York ran into the streets. And you know what they did? They just instinctively started partying. And a huge celebration erupted. And then parades just naturally started getting thrown around everywhere. And this guy runs out with his girlfriend. And they, they make their way down. They're all running toward Times Square because everybody seems to be running to Times Square. Uh, maybe that's uh, where the official announcement was made or something like that. But they were running down there. And they run. And these, these guys, bar owners, are outside just handing out drinks. I mean, just like that. So people are doing going crazy celebration here. He actually left his girlfriend behind in the process of going, gets by himself, he sees a lady in a white dress, he thinks it's a nurse, it's actually a dental assistant who's on her break, who came out, he thinks she's a military nurse, and he grabs her and just plants one on her, and the photo has gone down through history right here. Have y'all seen that photo before? All right. They didn't know each other. They had no clue who each other was. He makes an aggressive move, goes to kiss her. She's asked later, "What did you feel?" She said, "I had no problem with it at all." <laughs> tell me, let me tell me this. Go downtown Austin today. <laughs> Grab a lady randomly and just try to plant one on her, you'll be arrested. <laughs> Not here? Whatever woman you try to kiss, she certainly is not going to say, I had no problem with it at all. <laughs> Why? What's going on here in the hearts of people that cause them to celebrate to the degree that that would happen? And nobody has an issue with it. There's a gladness that is overcoming all barriers. They are rejoicing because they just heard the war Well, that really, that, that news is nothing compared to Christmas. Guys, Christmas is to all of humanity and all of history. The war is over. God is saying it. I am sending my son. He is going to reconcile all the pain, all the heartache, All the terrible things you fear, I am overcoming every one of them with my son, and he's here. I'm coming through on every promise, every fear you have. When you come to my son in your life, you cannot lose. You have everything. You have God, the one who made you. You are reconciled in him. When you have him, you have everything. You have me, and you can't lose. It doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. When you have him, you have everything. The war is over. All of your fears should be eliminated in your heart. But something should happen in your heart if you really believe it. you really believe it, the gladness that that man felt should live in you. That's Christmas. That's the intent of glad tidings. Rejoice. Your King has come. He conquered for you. Amen. So, party, sing, cry, rejoice. It's the gladness of God who has come to you this day. It's a happy day. Behold Him. Come to him, receive him. Have you received him? Have you received him? Do it today. And maybe experience Christmas for the first time, the reality of Christmas for the first time. Live free. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, uh, Lord, we even just probably just tasted a small dose of the joy and the happiness of God in Christmas Fill our hearts full. Don't let us settle for less. Fill our hearts with gladness to the degree that we live so free. Freer than we've ever been. Oh, Jesus, make yourself personal right now. And help us believe and to feel the good tidings of the gospel. Speak to us right now, Lord, during this time of response, this time of song. And we just engage with you. We sing to you. We celebrate. Fill our hearts full, Lord, of your presence and joy. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We stand with you all across the room. Let's just sing to the Lord. Do business today.